Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. My guest today is founder and CEO of Binyan Studios, Andrei Dolnikov. Andrei came to Australia as an 11-year-old Russian immigrant with nothing but his family, $2,000 and a Persian rug. After graduating art school in Australia, he made the pilgrimage to Israel, where he spent six years living in Jerusalem, studying to become an Orthodox Hasidic rabbi, rediscovering the spiritual roots that he had been denied while growing up in the Soviet Union. Now Andre is a visionary creative leader who specializes in bespoke, considered, and memorable architectural images. He started his own business in his spare room in a small Sydney apartment, jokingly referred to as Suite 9, after working as a visualizer in Pittsburgh. He has since guided Binyan, a now international studio with locations all over the world, to his place as a leader in the field. Uh, Andre, welcome to Design Your Life. Thank you. Great to be here, Vince. Really cool to see you again. Um, we've been working a lot over the years, and we've always enjoyed getting together, having a laugh, and, and doing some phenomenal work. Um, you started off as a bartender at the Opera House. That was one of my jobs. I've I've had a job of some sort ever since I was 11 when we came from Russia as immigrants with $2,000 and a Persian rug. Wow. And I had a paper run which my dad would drive me to and I would do it and, you know, leaflet delivery. So one of them was a bartender at the Opera House, yes. Wow. Um, so I guess you've have you always been entrepreneurial in um, spirit? I think I've been a hustler. Yeah. Like I needed to hustle, you know. I think it's a bit of a immigrant mentality like you know you got nothing to lose and everything to gain yeah yeah was your dad in business no my um i'm in disappointment in my family because i don't have a phd because <laughs> everyone else well my dad actually has one but he never filed or whatever you do with it but mm-hmm. everyone else has got at least one professors and doctors and phds that's my background family wise all academics um and very, very bright people, but almost well, pretty much nobody with any business background. And I, and I, I kind of was cool to discover that you were, you were a rabbi. Yeah, uh, I'm a, uh, a orthodox observing, observant um, Hasidic Jewish guy. Uh, and I'm actually a rabbi. I spent six years from, I went to College of Fine Arts after, mm-hmm. um, after high school mm-hmm. in Sydney. Then I spent six years living the life of the Jewish equivalent of a Buddhist monk um, <laughs> in, in Jerusalem, but like just but with bagels. And, 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 and um, so, and that was yeah, like divorce from the world, from the physical wow. world, kind of uh, on a spiritual journey, studying Kabbalah and uh, you know Jewish mysticism, and like going back to my roots because I grew up in the Soviet Union with none of this stuff. The only thing we knew about being Jewish was that you couldn't do this, you couldn't study here, you couldn't work mm. there. It was all negative. Wow. So when I kind of rediscovered it um, coming to Australia, um, I, I really went for it and, and then went all the way to becoming a rabbi and I um, um, worked for 11 years um, in Sydney as a rabbi at the synagogue in, in Double Bay. So it's still, and it's still part of my life on a wow. sort of more informal level now. So hang on, just backtrack a bit. What happened to art school? You finished that and went off to Israel. Yeah, well, what, what, okay. What was the turning point there? 
it's it's those two convergent pathways. Uh, myself and a group of my still very close friends, who I'm actually going out for dinner with tonight, um, we all were sort of, you know, seeking something like reading Carlos Castaneda, experimenting. Like I was playing in a jazz band, doing painting and into art and design, music, spirituality. It was all sort of like a mishmash of kind of not being that interested in the pragmatic pathway that the world had supposedly laid out for me. You go to a good school, you know, you get mm. good grades, you get uh, that. I found that extremely boring and mm. I wanted to find something something higher than that. So when I went after a couple of years in design school, I mean, I liked it. I did well. I was happy, but I felt that there was like a calling and plus all my mates had already buzzed off to Israel at that time. So I'm like, I'm just going to do it. I remember actually sitting on the plane crying like as the plane's taking off, what have I done? Mm. And uh, but it was it was a very it was an amazing um, time. I on the way to Israel, I went to London to apply for a scholarship at the Architectural Association School of Architecture, which mm. is a very prestigious architecture yeah. school. Which I did get. They only told me four months later, and by that time, I was like all in on living the spiritual life at that point in time. So I didn't take up on it. So it was a bit of a fork in the road moment, I think, for me. But I think things ended up well. We came back to Australia. Yeah, uh, towards the end of that six-year period, I met my wife, um, and we got married. We lived in first in Melbourne and then in Pittsburgh for a little bit. I was still studying, sort of um, doing my rabbinic studies, and uh, we had a couple of kids. We were in Pittsburgh. I didn't even have the right paperwork to work there, so I was like working for cash for a couple of architecture firms that I could do some draft drafting for. Um, I went back for a semester at university here that was the last time that university taught the software that we use currently in our business mm. so just so to speak coincidentally that happened i also in that time met chris worsfold who was our kind of employee number two team member number two yeah. who's still with us an amazing guy um your creative director yeah and and uh and that led me to when I went back to Pittsburgh, where my where we were living at, at the time with our two kids in an apartment the size of this studio, mm-hmm. as in a small so huge. apartment. Yeah, yeah, massive, yeah, palatial, yeah. Uh, for six hundred dollars a month rent. Yeah, uh, it was, uh, and I was like, okay, I got to make a living here, and uh, got a couple of jobs at different architecture firms again, like for for, for cash, and doing some renderings, doing some CGI's for for that for that firm. A client who was actually himself a rabbi asked me to do some stuff on the side. So, and I'm like, okay, I can do that. And then I became like the renderings for synagogues guy for a little, <laughs> for a little while. It all connects. It all connects. And then when wow. I went, came back to Australia, again, I was like, I've got to pay for this uh, lifestyle that I have of yeah. wife and two kids. So yeah. I still finished my kids. Unit. So far, then oh, we have another two later. Yeah. yeah. I was working, basically living on Centrelink in a small two-bedroom apartment, full-time university, full-time working as a rabbi at that time um, and starting this, this this business just like from nothing. So that was the, that was the genesis and it was all like I had my uh, my address at the time was I think Suite 9, 150 Old South Head Road, like Suite 9 as if it's just, you know, it was a, <laughs> but I, clients would come, come, I will come to your office at Suite 9. I was like, no, no, please. <laughs> I will come to you. No need. <laughs> do not bother. <laughs> wow. So how do you make it all work? How do like, I now? Yeah, now. I mean, from that point, you started off your business, you're a full-time rabbi, you got two kids, you've been all over the place. Um, it's such a 
it feels like a lot of contradictions. Yeah. But it's just, I don't know if you see it that way. I don't see it as, as contradiction. They, they are ostensibly contradictory things, but for me, what I like is kind of balancing and coalescing them together. Do they always coalesce perfectly? By no means. But that's kind of, I, I like the thr- thrill of that. And I like combining opposites. I like kind of chain, challenging stereotypes. Mm. That for me is what's, I want to be that guy and also that guy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be, you know, the chassid and the hipster. Are you still a rabbi, still practicing? Well, now it's more informal since I moved to Melbourne. I'm still kind of finding my, finding my feet yeah. in the rabbi game. Um, and how is that side of things, kind of the, your Orthodox Jew beliefs, etc. how does that affect your, you know, being in business? Because a business is such a, it just seems like such a different place. Cutthroat? Well, yeah, it's like it's high-end, super modern, super futuristic. It's a good question. I don't look at my sort of religious beliefs and like Hasidic lifestyle. They're a set of ideas that can exist in any in any time and any context. It's a way of looking at the world. In other words, for me, I take from that. I mean, there's certain things like Sabbath, Shabbat, which is like I do not work on on Shabbat. And if when sun goes down Friday night, no matter how important your deadline, you're not going to get a hold of me. And that's that's. That's like until I, when Sunday night or until what? until Saturday night. So it's twenty five oh, okay. hours. That's something I do. That actually helps me. Like if I didn't have that, my mind would just keep going forever in in business, and I would kind of you know, I s- spin out of control. I can yeah. help you with it. Well, I, think, yeah, uh, I invited you when you didn't come, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you didn't answer the door. <laughs> you were that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Some hobo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, so for me, I, I don't see I don't see the contradictions. I, I, there's not there's not all that many in in my opinion. It's a it's a particular attitude towards things. For example, I for me my my kind of spiritual life is about having something more meaningful than just the mundane, and that's what I want in my business as well. If my business is boring, I'm not creative. The people around me are not inspired and not inspiring. I lose motivation because why am I doing it? I don't want to just do it to s- spin the wheels mm. and to have some ticks and boxes. And, you know, for me, there's got to be a deeper meaning to it. So I kind of have that perspective that I draw from my sort of spirituality side of myself. Mm-hmm. I bring it into the business and vice versa. I bring the, some of the creativity into how I do that. And when I'm doing like, you know, rabbi stuff like in outreach people relate to me more because i'm not the typical hasidic rabbi they used to seeing that's going to go no you're you know go to synagogue more wagging their finger at them i'm much more i think um kind of um open-minded about Mm. people coming from different directions and that helps me uh be a better rabbi as well so you must love people i guess i um i'm definitely good with people well, is, I, that, is that like leadership as a rabbi? So you, you do, a you, business, etc. It, it's for me. It's primarily been like adult education, giving you know, um, um, I guess like workshops or lectures and um, teaching kind of ancient wisdom in a in a modern context. It's more teaching really, and then we host a lot. Like we host heaps for for Sabbath, Friday night, Saturday day. We're always having people at our house, and it's, so it's a kind of a um, that bringing the community into the more um, exposing to some of the more spiritual religious parts of, of Judaism. Cause I think because lots of people kind of are, are technically Jewish, but they don't practice a lot of us. So we try to bring that to them. Mm. You've grown from, you know, those early days of being kind of in your spare room or suite nine. 
uh, to today we have multiple offices around the world, 100 plus people. Um, it's grown pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, what, what was the magic ingredient? Um, I think it was a blend of a couple of things. From a what drove me perspective, it was um, sort of ambition and wanting to create something special. Like, I don't want to be just another one. I, I want to create something that is people are going to tell stories about and something that is a unique place to work and, and, and part of it, you know, to do more complex works in our industry, you need a certain scale and you also need to have enough talent. Talent's very scarce in our industry. So we had to grow in a way to, to hire the people we wanted to hire. Part of it was in order to create the kind of business I wanted, it needed to have that, that scale. So in, in, and that's kind of my internal motivations. I mean, externally, it was a bit of luck, I would say, that we, we grew at the time that the property market was really booming. There was lots of demand for our work. Mm -hmm. and what, what year was this? I mean, the business officially nine years old, mm -hmm. actually. So it's soon yeah. going to be 10 years. Yeah. So nine years old. That was, was a big two, growth period, wasn't it? 2010, right. So we really rode that, rode that wave. We got you know, a few key people like Chris O, as mentioned before, on board, then a few others like David, who's our creative director of New York office currently, and a few others on board that um, kind of we showed to ourselves we could do work as good as anybody out there. Mm -hmm. And then the demand really grew. And it was like, well, we could only have so many nights of not sleeping and doing it all ourselves. Yep. Let's hire a couple more people, a couple more people. And then we grew it that way. Then we started looking internationally to bring talent, we've brought a lot of people over the years um, from the UK, Eastern Europe, et cetera, to, to Australia. And then having offices in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and, and finally in New York, which is its own story, um, it was also about getting the amazing talent available in those places because, um, and then obviously having been able to service those markets. So Yeah, that was interesting. I, I read that on your website. Um, so I did a lot of research. Um, but I read that article, read that part where it said about you. You didn't necessarily move to Melbourne, etc., for new business. You moved there for the to, to work to find the talent. Yeah. Um, I never thought of approaching my business in that way. Well, I think in, you just in, couldn't get enough talent here. In locally. your industry, you know, there are graphic design schools. There's art. There, there's people coming out of the, the industry is much. Bigger. Our industry is very niche, extremely young. You know, the advertising industry is decades old, and mm -hmm. we're two minutes old. Yeah, you know, we're already one nine years. We're one of the old, one of the older companies these days. Mm -hmm. um, most of the companies that were around when we started aren't around anymore. So mm -hmm. it's it's very, all very new. So there isn't even any institutions that teach the basic skills that we need. There's huge scarcity of of talent. So yeah, it, it was about that because we just couldn't couldn't physically hire them here or train them fast enough. Where did the name Binyan come from? So it's a, it's a Hebrew word for the process. Literally means like building, but it's the process of creating something new, something from nothing. And that's kind of that's maybe. That's awesome. Yeah. So I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but it's it's kind of one of those names when people kept saying a while back before I met you, Binyan this, Binyan that, going, what's Binyan? I couldn't say, yeah, 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 I know yeah. what it was. But when I it wasn't until I looked closer at your website and met you, etc. I kind of then begin to kind of experience your brand and the qualities around that. It just like, it just blew me away. I mean, I'm not just trying to charm you here, but um, I'm just like... It's working. <laughs> I'm always amazed when you see a brand kind of look like it came out of nowhere, but it already was so polished and so aspirational and the quality was astounding. 
and and I just like wow, what is this? Where has it come from? Who's behind it? And it's set a new it's set new standards, and I, and you continue to do that. And I think you know congratulations for the growth that you've had and the and the consistency. More importantly, despite yeah. all the hardship and trying to find people, etc., yeah. running a business, etc., and all the things that you're doing, you managed to keep the standard like improving year after year. It's unbelievable. Yeah, well, that was a big penny drop quite early on. And I get asked this question a lot when I'm like, you know, speaking somewhere, things like that, that how do you keep quality control at the, at the scale that we are? Because in our industry, we're considered one of the larger firms, probably the like outside of you know, China, India, we're probably the largest like in terms of headcount company by probably a multiple of two or three. Mm-hmm. So how people, how do, you, how do you possibly keep the quality at that scale? And, you know, my answer is always you can't quality control the work, you have to quality control the people. Yeah. You get great people who have their own drive, who are intrinsically motivated to strive for the same thing you're striving for. Then you kind of just plug them into the thing, and they they take you there. Mm-hmm. And 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 you always have to create a kind of culture around excellence and striving to be the best that that motivates those kind of people. It's interesting because obviously it came at you. You're going to hit the spot at the exact right time because obviously not only what what you were doing, but the world of place, uh, community, architecture, interiors, technology, etc., was grown phenomenally quickly. I mean, what's cool about what you do is you visualize the future because you visualize ideas and designs that aren't quite realized. They're not. They're not built, and it's no longer a vagueness of what it might be. It actually is spot on. I think in the old days, people selling property, it was pretty vague and open to interpretation until you got the finally bought the house, bought the key, turned the lock and walk into your apartment. I think we captured a turning point in the technology. Definitely there was like an inflection point where the technology that had been developed really for film and visual effects, you know, Pixar and all these guys, they developed these tools. They began to be used in the world of architecture. And architects, though, took those tools and used them primarily to document, albeit in a 3D way, document what they're designing. There was sort of a, a new thing became, was born taking the traditions of traditional illustration, which is about not just the building, but how you portray the building, and took the best of 3D animation from film and visual effects and architecture merge those two into into making images that tell stories and not just show architecture. Mm-hmm. Like they make a person feel something about the image, not just show what the image is re- representing. So it's a difference between a photographer who's shooting a photo for a news article where he really needs to sh- just f- capture the information as opposed to a um, fine art photographer who's shooting what he's shooting to make an observation or an insight or and he has a point of view about what he's portraying. Mm. So it's kind of the convergence of those things with the technology that allowed things to be, as you were saying, portrayed in a hyper-photorealistic way. Mm-hmm. So you're no longer, the technology is kind of not holding you back anymore where no. you're going, well, it's kind of going to look like this, but it's more this. Or it, you didn't have that. You're literally now a photographer. Mm. You're just f- photographing virtually. So who are the people that are working for you? Are they artists? Are they architects? What, what, what are they? What's That's, their qualification? Typically, people have either an architecture or interior design background, some industrial design. You have to have a grounding in design mm-hmm. um, to be able to understand the language, and you have to have a pretty deep 
yet geeky passion for the painstaking work of 3D, which 3D is complex. That's why Pixar takes five years to make, you know, to make a motion picture. Um, so most people have a background in design or architecture or styling or photography, and then they at some point kind of fell in love with the 3D side of things. Do you find it very competitive, the market? Um, yeah, increasingly so. Um, I think for making imagery, uh, making still renderings, like still images, these days you don't need a lot more than a computer and obviously the skills. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, in, you know, we welcome that to be honest. We're actually working with universities to make sure that their, their architecture degrees out there are... Um, graduating students that have the skills to get a good job at a company like ours or, or others mm. or some of these small or some of the smaller firms. So it's definitely becoming more competitive in that in that in that sense. But I think that's part of the industry kind of maturing. Mm. Um, but but definitely look anything that's if you've got a good business you're gonna have competition, right? It's gonna be weird yeah. if you don't. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. We are evolving more and more into much more complex projects and so not just the still, the still renders, which are still fundamental and really are the bedrock of what we do. But it's all the stuff on top of that, film, animation, immersive experiences, virtual reality, things that are content that is much more, I would say, creative than just a, a, a still image and, and much more engaging to the audience. Um, so we are okay with, you know, it becoming more competitive because we want to take it to the next level and mm -hmm. um, game on. It's good. People keep pushing each other. I read somewhere you're doing yachts and things like that. Are you doing yeah. other projects outside of architecture? Look, I would say it's 99.5% architecture. A yacht's a floating building as far as we're concerned. <laughs> I mean, you know, so we, 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 we that was a, like we do quite a lot of work for Maritino um, and they, um, we've done like aquariums in, in, in um, like, um, theme park aquariums in Beijing. So there you have unique challenges where you need to create really realistic simulated water effects that we wouldn't typically be doing in an apartment building. But that's a really great challenge to do. You know, we do lots of marinas we're doing quite a bit now, one in, um, in the Middle East, which is this mega development of yachts and water. We had to kind of do all this R&D for that animation to be able to make that happen. But yeah, it's primarily real estate um, and architecture and portraying that and telling stories. So really supporting the campaigns that companies like yourselves create. We've got to create the content that tells the story that you guys are telling through the brand mm. positioning and the overall message. What city, what's your favorite city? My favorite city. I must say I do love New York. Like if I, probably if I was single, I'd live there. Mm -hmm. Or actually, shouldn't have said that. Now my wife. <laughs> I meant to say you are now I, single. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if if we were just um, just newly newly married, yeah, you know, that, that I would I would I would love to, to live there. Um, we recently th really thought hard about potentially moving there. We decided to actually relocate to Melbourne. But New York, I don't know. There's something about it that that is just like. Uh, Timeless. I'm also massively into jazz. So like oh, wow. when I'm in New York, I go see like sometimes three or four jazz shows per night. Because there's one always, there's one will, that will start at 2 a.m., you know, and there's one that starts at 7 p.m. And I'm mm. just, so I know architecture, exciting. It's a bit grimy. I like that. I like kind of the imperfections of it. Kind of see it in our work as well. Like we like to mess up things a little bit if they're yeah. too pristine. It, yeah. I feel a little bit 
um, it's not as quite as personal. So I like that aspect of New York and has heaps of amazing kosher food. So that's uh, yeah. It's interesting talking to the, some of the guys in in New York, some of the developers, etc. There, it's a very different way of working. The process is different to here too. Like here, you can you can sell off the plan, whereas there you, you can't sell until One you start out of the ground. Yeah, exactly. Start building. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a slower burn. It's more um, it's more. I think as uh, Steve Cornwell in one of your other podcasts mentioned, it was quite refreshing to hear. He was like, oh, yes, he, he noticed that too. Um, things take longer, uh, uh, much more considered. As, as you said, there's heaps of opportunity, but every inch of New York has got so much value, literally value, mm. and so many stakeholders have a stake in what that's, that means, what it used to mean, what it will mean. Mm-hmm. So everything goes through such a rigorous process of deliberation and that things can just go on forever and ever. Um, and you've got to almost have like this stamina to stay with the project, which is something we've kind of had to develop over the last two, three years. But at the end of the day, you get some pretty amazing product at the end, so it's worth it. What's it like working with all these, you know, some, some of the world's top architects? Do you mean you get to meet them personally? Some of them, um, yeah. I mean, my team, I'm not in New York as much as I um, probably would like or was in the in in the early days there, but for sure, and they just you know they just they're just people, and you've got to kind of you got to connect to them, you've got to prove to them that you're not just a keyboard operator. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the attitude, and some particularly some of the more senior architects, which are like you know the giants of the industry, but they used to what's three D? It's someone who I make a sketch, I, I give it to the three D you know, a uh, 21-year-old dude or, or gal, yeah. and they're going to quickly zhuzh up something for me, yeah, and I'm going to tell them, change it, then I'll do that for 15 times, and then they'll, you know, they'll sleep under their desk. So that's kind of <laughs> how they perceive uh, sometimes what the, or a rendering or 3D rendering company is. So we have to make sure we represent ourselves and our industry in a way they understand that you guys design the building. We design the way we're going to portray your building. And that's not always going to be the way you've seen it in your mm. SketchUp model for the last five years you've been yeah, designing yeah. it. And we have to earn that that respect in their eyes by showcasing what we can do by on a personal level connecting with them. It's all about connection. So to work with them well, you have to do the deep dive and connecting with your, with your collaborators. That's what they are. They are collaborators. We can't do our job without them. They can't sell their building without us. But, mm. you know, and you have to earn that respect through the work. Um, I think we've talked before, when, when we were working on a project, you were doing the renders way before the architect had seen anything three-dimensional. And it was interesting because you were actually influencing his design because you'd actually comped together other you know, furniture or finishings, etc., that, that then kind of evolved it. Does that happen a lot? It happens quite frequently where we will... Um, the, the portrayal of the architecture influences the design. So it's like, a, it's like a bit of a cyclical thing. So that's not uncommon because really it's, it can happen that the first time both the client and the architect actually see what they've been designing all these years is in our images. Mm. And then they realize things and, and or there's gaps that they say, well, we haven't designed this bit, so can you fill in the gap? But being that we're all kind of architects, we can do that. And when they see it, they incorporate that into the into the design quite that's a that's a good thing like we enjoy that like you know a lot of time our guys are sort of frustrated architects who want to do do the architecture yeah. bit so that the opportunities come up all the time does it, does it ever come to a situation where they're all going to gather around to look at the renders and go oh is that it clients <laughs> yeah 
No, our clients are always happy with everything we do. <laughs> no, first go and they. No, no, what, no, no. What you've done, but what the architects done? Does, does, uh, because they haven't. They can only see it in plan or line yeah, drawings. Of course, yeah. Because sometimes it's sometimes it's a bit of a oh. After all that, it looks like this. <laughs> um, look, to me, not mm. every building's uniqueness is about architecture. Yeah. It can be about the amenities. It can be about the location. It can be about the views, it can be about all sorts of other things or the lifestyle the person will occupy that space. You don't always have to show the building from every, from every angle. Yeah. Uh, people live inside buildings, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's more, you can show what it means to be in that building and sell it very effectively without really focusing on the architecture, particularly if the architecture is not, nothing to write home about. Does this make you want to be an architect? I still have this, like, I'm not good at ruling things out. Like, uh, of, like I wanted to be an architect when I went to architecture mm. school. Yeah. And, I'm st- and I haven't done it. And I'm still, like, one day maybe I'll, like, start, like, a super underground conceptual architecture firm or something like that. So sometimes it does. Not seeing what architects do, mind you, um, but just seeing, like, um, the kind of ideas we can generate through the tools that we use makes me want to actually use them in a, as, as a design tool for some of the ideas yeah, yeah. I may have. But, you know, one day, one That's day. That's interesting. Did we, any of your creative teams play around with that? A lot of our guys are artists in their own right outside of work or in addition to work. We have, like, personal passion projects that might be, you know, watercolor or, or sculpture. Does it, like, so people have a lot, a lot of guys into photography. So um, no one's really practicing architecture outside, outside of it, but... Um, People are very much into styling and design and photography and, and filmmaking in their own lives as well, and they, we try to make sure they bring that into the work. Mm. I read somewhere that you said that we want to be the Gensler of computer-generated images and have 40 offices around the world. Is that yes. still your dream? That's a correct quote. Um, <laughs> 40, look, that, was, that quote was to bring out a point, but in theory, yes. Um, I've learned a little bit since then that you know what we do at a kind of at that high end level not every market is appropriate for it at this point in time so i don't necessarily think 40 offices is is real is realistic or at least you know i'd maybe rather focus on like perfecting and refining the you know the four offices we have now and potentially looking to do something in europe kind of like we our best um, we are at our best around unique projects, significant projects. Pro- projects have something special about them in, in scale, in complexity, in design. They don't happen in every city in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, even, again, going back to Rome, there's not a lot going on. But we've got a project in Paris coming up, so that's kind of cool. So, for me, it's more about the quality, even though we've got a kind of a decent scale for our industry, but it's about the quality of projects we want to be associated with. And these projects which you talk about, these big projects that, um, that you're working on, I mean, are they, they find you or by being on the ground in a city, you connect with the, <coughs> the, the creative community and get it that way? It's a bit of both. Definitely heaps of work by word of mouth. But at this stage, look, in the beginning, it was all knocking on doors. I can tell you, like, you know, it was, uh, you had to be a bit shameless and just, just, just go for it. Uh, if they're not talking about you, 
you must talk to them. I think that's some sort of thing someone <laughs> said at one point, and I really yeah. took that to heart. I'll quote you on that. Yeah, and you gotta you gotta be get in front of people. Um, a lot of like when we enter new markets like the US or um, in Europe currently, you've got to be a lot more proactive about winning the new work. But then rel- relatively quickly, if you do a good job, the work comes. But I'm I've always you know people say, oh it's all organic. Like I don't fully believe it i'm sure i don't know you hopefully you back me up but you have to work hard for the business no matter what you do unless you're two guys that that do something so unique and special no one else is doing it you never have to but if you want to also you know create a business that is a great place to work that has the um the resources to give a particular kind of um work life to people you have to be responsible commercially for your business and you have to bring you have to bring in new business to make it all work so I have no like I'm very comfortable asking for new work yeah well how much of it comes in versus you know new new business kind of proactive work I mean look I'd say in Australia it's 80% return like people everybody knows us we work um, got an amazing folio of work here so mostly it is um, work that comes to us even though we do keep in touch with people and we always trying to make we do like workshops and kind of in-service could be like for CBRE or for Colliers where we, we showcase to their projects team about like what the latest trends are. So, so we kind of keep, keep mm-hmm. ed, you know, educating the market about what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the US, probably right now, it's probably, I'd say, 50-50. And like elsewhere, it's um, just early days. So most of our projects are the first time we've worked with that client. Um, but then again, you know, we've got some, again, so all the new ones, I can't say the names because they're always under NDA, yeah, but it's like a major player in like international tourism that's, it's they're only considering us and one other company for their whole global account that came completely to us from, I don't know, from where. Mm. So, yeah, it, it's a bit of both, but I'm okay with chasing work. I think it's something, if you're proud of what you do, you should be able to go and and, 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 and show it to people. Absolutely. I mean, they're aware though the work sells itself, isn't it? It's such a strong standard. Yeah, you don't have to sell it. You just but but you connect know, people with it. People are busy. You have to make them aware that you exist, and then not necessarily can't take it for granted that they they do. I, I take nothing for granted. I for me, I have a visual sort of like a psychological link to day one from the day to day. A lot of people encounter me. Oh, you you know, done this and built that, open this. I'm like, no. For me, it's still day one. Yeah. yeah. That that I I never forget it. What about um, when you come into a new market like New York or London or Melbourne, Brisbane? Um, did the, does the market feel threatened by that? Look, you know, I I I care about my family, my team, my business. I care about the industry as a whole, but I think healthy competition is actually good for any industry. And I'm not I'm not sort of apologetic for saying, hey. You guys have great projects here. We want to work in 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 in, in your area because so often what it's done is it's caused others to raise their game. That's in the U.S. No question that that has happened. Mm-hmm. Since we've come on board, the quality of the whole work of the whole industry has risen. So that's a positive mm-hmm. thing for clients Fantastic. ultimately. So, you know, means a bit more competitive for us, but it's okay. Yeah. How do you stay well? Um, like, how do you make it all work? Because obviously, you know, you got a lot of there's a lot on, a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, you know, times aren't as good as they were in the past. There, there's, um, you know, there's kind of, I certainly feel there's, uh, uh, things have softened in the market. Certainly in, in Australia, the property market's quieter, uh, which then has effect on everybody because everyone has a home and, and everyone's linked to it somehow. 
Um, but how do you make it work with the family, the kids, the business, the multiple businesses? Um, firstly, my wife. Like, if she, obviously, you know, if she didn't sort of support me in every which way, though uh, sometimes pointing out areas I need to improve in. So, so that, that, that keeps me balanced and, and, and family. Like, I'm enjoying my family more and more with time. Do I spend enough time with them? Probably not, and I'd like, but probably more than in previous years, to be honest. So that's in a pretty good spot. I'm also my role in the business isn't like deadline driven. You know, I've got an incredible leadership team that takes so much ownership of it. It's you know, it's so it's as though it's their business, and some amazing people that that run it on a you know granular day to day basis. I'm involved in certain key projects, of course, but I'm not. I don't have that kind of pressure. I have the pressure to steward the whole thing um and yeah as the market softens you have to do the right thing and we took a strategy of um <clears throat> geographic diversification quite a few a few years ago as we've been discussing so that's definitely helped us um to some degree weather the storm that in australia there's less mm. work we've been able to supplement that um to a large extent um uh, with international work and that's kind of our game plan um um, going forward as, as well. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm, a, I think I'm naturally kind of positive and optimistic and I'm, I always believe I can solve any problem that, that will be thrown at me. I also believe in a, you know, in a higher power that will like the, the what's meant to happen is going to happen. And I, and I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not going to get too cut up about it. I've got to be pragmatic and, and, um, so I know this is, I'm actually going to, I oftentimes step back and take time to think about that what I'm doing, the career I'm in, the company that I've built with all my colleagues and is like, it's an incredible achievement, I think already. And we've got so much more that we want, want to do. Mm. So that gives me a lot of satisfaction and gratitude. And okay, there's certain problems that come up this year or that year, but you can deal with them if overall you have a, um, a appreciation of what you've what you've achieved and and a, and a vision for the future. So is, is it life that taught you business? Business taught me business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mistakes in business have taught me. You know, they're probably all the key things that I know have been learnt by stuffing it up first. Mm -hmm. Of course, so yeah. it'd be a key person leaving. Go, oh, that's how you're supposed to look after your best people. Got it. <laughs> I mean, don't do that. You know, so yeah, yeah. Um, so life. Um, always have had like mentors and advisors in, in, in the business realm that have no hundred times more than me and good dollop of common sense. Um, and, uh, I, that, that part of, that's part of what I find exciting about. I'm always like learning. It's not, mm. a, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but literally I like, I don't know a lot about business. So every year I become like much better at it. Yeah. And that's, I like that. It, yeah, it's exciting cool. for me. Do you want to talk about any of these mistakes? Sure. I would say my main mistakes have been around not being aware that certain people that are really, really special, but they may be burning out and kind of assuming that people are always going to keep pushing because I want to keep pushing, mm -hmm. you know. And I'm not saying I'm completely immune to that now, but I'm definitely much more sensitive to it mm -hmm. like all the time. We've had people – so I've learned it by people that I literally like broke my heart. I mean – in the most positive way in a certain sense that, you know, um, that someone would, you know, left and was like, I couldn't imagine the company without 
this mm. person. And it was quite, it, it, it hit me hard. And I was like, yeah, why, how did I let that happen? Um, it, was, it was a kind of a chastising moment. Since um, then, I've had a few near, near misses, but, I w- but I'm glad I was able to manage them by sometimes taking like someone who was a, quite a senior level you know, creative leader. We literally said, you know, it's more important for, for us that you stay in the business and we'll just put you back on a, in a new part of the business that you hadn't like one of more developed skills, but take all that responsibility you used to carry, which was massive for the business. We're going to just, we'll deal with that. You sit here and just pursue your passion. Mm-hmm. But we'd rather have you on the island mm-hmm. doing that than off the island disgruntled leaving. And mm-hmm. and it was like totally the right decision because now it's quite a bit of time later. That person's super happy, still an inspiration to everybody around them, yeah. doing amazing work. And actually the person that took over their previous role has taken it to the next level. So it's like a everybody at the time, I was like, this is a disaster. But yeah. I was I'd learned from that first mistake to like, I can't let that happen because there's only one way this is finished and this person's going to go, I've given this all I can, goodbye. And we managed a couple of times to to sort of do the right thing by the person, even though on paper it was a setback for the business, but it always turned out for the best. So you weren't deliberately killing your people. No, I wasn't, but it was, you know, you, you, you're kind of like, you just, you're in, you're in the flow, you know, mm. you're pushing it and you go with another client and you're going to, you know, it's like a conquest. We're going to take that hilltop. Are you with me? Yes. Wait, where's Jimbo? Oh, Jimbo fell in a ditch and he's, and he's dead. You know, like it, it, it was like, a, no, we take it like, no, you know, sometimes you go, wait, 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 wait. slow down. Yeah. What are we doing here? Let's calm down. And, you know, we can't all give our whole lives. We can't all be. At, every, at 1 a.m. in the morning on phone calls planning next day, that, that's too much, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there was definitely phases of the business where it was like that. Now it's not like that at all. I'm very, that's something I'm very proud of, that it's kind of the work-life balance for most people is pretty good. Uh, but that came through some pretty, I think, you know, mistakes not realizing it early enough. Well, but but at, good least, at least you saw that. Yeah, I mean, it, it hit me. It, it just like it was, you know, look, mm. it, was, it was so obvious and and it because i'm so driven by working with people that inspire me losing some of those people was a blow for me because yeah, yeah. it almost kind of made me question my own well it did make me question my own leadership abilities like my yeah. own why am i doing this yeah. am i doing this to make these people miserable that is like my worst feeling that i ever have when i see someone who's a, a very talented kind of grow unhappy mm-hmm. that is so deflating for me yeah, I, that yeah. that just all of a sudden pulls the rug right out from under me, and so until I kind of like fix it somehow, which sometimes isn't that easy once once that happens. No, well, um, trying to convince them to stay, or, or yeah, you know, and there's uh, they could be a, at a point of no return. Yeah, so. yeah they've already made a decision. Uh, that's that's it's not, that's it's tough. not about money either at that point, is it? Usually with those kind of people, it's not about money. No. If it's about money, it's more cut and dry. Um, it's kind of easier. Some say yes, some say no. You can't make everyone happy. But but it's more about when it's the passion, the commitment, um, the team spirit, when that phrase, that's tough. It's really cool, isn't it, to, to uh, be in a situation where you continually learn and grow and evolve. Uh, these situations come up and then new ones come up. So it's, it's um, you just, you know, Try to better yourself and and um, make new mistakes. That's the thing. You yeah. want to make new mistakes. You don't want to make old mistakes. Yeah. What are you What are you excited about now? Look, I'm actually super excited in the business. It's about um, like 
film animation immersion experience. That's been a very significant area of growth and excitement for the for the team where mm-hmm. we are now not just handing over pictures to our clients, we are advising them about how those pictures are going to be or mm-hmm. film content going to be experienced by the end user. Mm-hmm. And the feedback has just been like amazing where they'll go like, we have people in and people are like, oh, you know, like, and it's like, wow. So we actually getting to see like tangibly the the impact our work is having mm-hmm. on, on, on the yeah. end um, intended audience. So that's, so it's an area that is got, there's lots of more room for innovation in it. So it's something we're pushing very hard. And, um, and definitely for, for me, the other area like, like Europe, um, you know, the pro- projects in Belgium, London, Montenegro, like some incredible place, which I I'm, I'm may need to do some site visits to, obviously, yeah, of course. just to see see what's going on there. But that that's always exciting. I, I love I love um, I, I love kind of coming to a new city and like, don don don, you know, let's see what we got here, and it's mm. it's quite exciting. I'm always it's always a thrill now coming into a new new market overseas, having already had the success that we've had. It's a whole different level. They view mm. us as a like I know I'm not a big deal. I know I'm just the same Schmendrick from 150 Old South Head Road. But like when I walk in there, they 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 think I'm a big deal, and they think the company is they 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 right away perceive us at a very at a very high level, which is very refreshing. Mm. Um, you know, companies people like some like with a client in Moscow a few few a couple of months ago say they have like the most incredible project in Moscow, and they said to me their comment was we would very much appreciate. If we would be the first project you would enter the Russia market in, and I was like, "Great, yes, of course we can." They're probably going to hear this podcast now, but but uh, <laughs> I, was, I was like, "Yes, we can," yeah. and they they do, they understood. You know, we worked our, our butts off to get to where we are, mm. and and it's and it's sometimes it's it's kind of reassuring to see that pe- people appreciate that. And while we got to stay humble, we're not we've got to be careful not to drink our own Kool Aid and mm-hmm. become full of ourselves. That's always a a. Uh, the, the the dark side of success. Um, as long as we stay humble, we're going to keep, I think, you know, keep doing some good stuff. I guess I want to come back to quickly before we kind of wrap it up, just around this idea of design your life. Um, what do you think of that as a concept? I, I love that idea. Um, I have done it at times and other times I feel like it, I'm not doing it and I've had to like kind of rein myself in to, mm-hmm. to go, okay, hold on a second. This is becoming too undesigned, too frayed at the edges, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, well, well, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm very blessed that I have certain things that are in place in my life that are kind of immovable pillars. Definitely, my family, my relationship, my relationship with my kids, my you know, my faith, and and that side of my life. They're there as always a backdrop for what's happening. And they're like everything else. There can be chaos in my business life. But those things are always there to support. So I've kind of designed them in that they are like, they're the foundation. Mm-hmm. They can't move. Now, the building at the top sometimes maybe is swaying. And, but but um, those things give me the ability to withstand the parts of my life that are not designed enough or mm-hmm. parts of my life that I can't control and therefore design. You know, you can't control everything. You can't be too 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 prescriptive about how you want your life to, to, to pan out. You have to have a level of flexibility and acceptance of things going different way. But if you have that strong foundation, it allows you to accept the unexpected that may come and to frame it in, in 
hopefully a positive way. And when bad stuff happens, as it does, I'm not like this kind of gaga, oh, everything is all like it's for the best <laughs> in some cosmic way. One day, eventually, it is for the best. But you also want to have things that happen for the best that you can see. But then there's stuff that happens that's just bad stuff, like mm. like fam, like I'm 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 going to be 40 next year. My parents and and then like my in-laws are. Getting, going through some health issues, that is a whole new reality to our life. That's n- not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, all these new responsibilities that we, ne- we didn't have and you have to all of a sudden design that part of yourself, activate that part of your your mind and your feelings, your heart and your attention to deal with that, something you're completely you know, not, not used to. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so I'm designing these new bits now. But because mm-hmm. I have that foundation, it helps me um, – mm-hmm design the bits that, yeah, yeah. Uh, that come in unexpectedly yeah. cool Andre thank you so much for today my pleasure Vince thank you thank you all for listening if you want to find out more about designing your life head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective <laughs>